All right, so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13, 14, and 15. So three whole verses here. And we're going to be breaking this up into about the next five weeks, or four, five weeks, and then we're going to have a, a, a recap, as we always do when we finish a book. So uh, if you missed Treb's sermon last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, giving the, uh, the, the context of what we're doing here. But Paul starts this section with saying, finally, and he's encouraging believers to be strong in the Lord, and now he's going to walk, and why we need to be strong in the Lord. Their struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then he goes on to repeat in verse 13 what he said in verse 11 already. So we'll read 13, 14, and 15, and then we'll dive into it. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stand with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to, oh, no, stop. I'm going to pause there. We're not going to go into 16. So it's kind of hard to stop reading because it's all tied together. All right. So let's just focus on these three verses here. So Paul says, therefore, and obviously anytime you study the Bible and you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. And so he had said things before that. When he had uh, ex- explained, be strong in the Lord, put on this armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So the context of this is the devil is scheming against us. What do we do? And then he reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It is, against, it is a spiritual battle against the devil and against his minions in the world. Those that he is using to uh, bring about his, uh, his goals against the work of the Lord. So he says, because we have a devil, because we are in a battle, because we are in a fight, and our fight is not against flesh and blood, it's a spiritual battle, we need spiritual armor. So he says, therefore, because of that, put on. So this word for put on means to put something on, to use it. Now Paul has used this language uh, earlier in, in Ephesians where he's like, put off these things. If you're lying, stop lying and tell the truth. If you're, uh, if you're not working, as he'll say in other epistles, like stop being lazy and instead get to work. So, if you're being bitter, take off bitterness and wrath and put on love instead. So when he says put on the full armor of God, he means the armor is available, so use it. And he says the full armor of God, that would be a, a, a word that would be very, very familiar to the folks of the time because... Uh, both the Greeks and the Romans had very similar armor setups, right? And he's going to go and he's going to give us these armories. He goes through, there'll be a belt, which ties everything together. And there'll be this uh, breastplate, which covered. And then there'll be, uh, there'll be some shoes you're going to want to have. You're going to have a shield. You're going to have a helmet. You're going to have a sword. And then finally, there's going to be a seventh uh, spiritual um, armor that God has given us, and that is prayer. But as Paul goes through these things, he says to put on the full armor of God. Like, put it all on. You don't just want to have some of it. You're like, you know what? I think I'm good with just the sword today. No, put it all on. And he's going to explain why you want it all on. So he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, so it's a conjunction, conjunction, conjunction. What's your function? If it remembers that aging me a little bit. But. Uh, you, it's a link that joins phrases in a sentence, right? So he says, put on the armor of God. And it's going to explain why. So that when the day of evil comes. Notice it doesn't say if. It doesn't say if the day of evil. Well, what is the day of evil? If you, if you remember back uh, in the last chapter, in chapter 5, uh, in 5.15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? 
because the days are evil. It's not just that the days are evil, like when we say, oh, it's worse now than it's ever been. We'll get into that in a minute, but no, it's not. And then the idea of the days being evil, you're like, everybody's evil all the time. Okay, just pump the brakes for a second. The word evil there really means a time of trial and tribulation and difficulty, okay? So it's, yes, the days are evil. Like anybody who's reading the Bible, there's, we have an evil one who is actively working. You and I do evil things. We have evil thoughts. But the day of evil is the time of testing. And if you think, think of when, when Jesus is going into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It's an incredible picture that we'll also touch on in, in just a minute to go back and we're not actually going to turn back there, but we'll reference it as to how Jesus was fighting that temptation. But when the day of evil comes, there is a time when you will be tested, when you will endure either persecution or you will endure suffering or you will endure hardship or there will be some peril against the steadfastness of your Christian faith, okay? Just put it in plain language, something that will press against you to try to knock you off of your stance, so to speak. Which is why he says, so, so you put on this armor so that when trouble comes, you may be able to stand your ground. To stand your ground. So like all of us, if you put it into battle a battle metaphor, you had armies that were made up of cavalry and infantry and archers and javelin throwers and these things in the Roman army. They had these, uh, you had legionnaires and they were in, in groups and they would all have, they would all be dressed in armor. And they did not just stand there when they fought. They weren't, they fought as a group. And so standing your ground meant that when the bad guys, or I don't know who bad or good in history, but whatever, when the enemies, when they were rushing toward them, if they run away, that's not the point. The point is not to run away in battle. It's to push forward. And so when he says stand your ground, it means to literally don't move from the spot that you're in so that you can march forward. So after, in the day of trouble, you put on this armor so that you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything, meaning put on this armor, that you're still standing. So that when the waves come, as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, when trouble comes, if you've built your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ, that you're still standing on that rock when the storm is done. Does that make sense? Now, he says again, stand firm then in verse 14. So, just look at the language that Paul has in here. Just even going back to verse 10. Be strong in mighty power. Uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, against powers, spiritual forces of evil. Put on the armor. When the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Do you think Paul wants us to stand firm? He doesn't want Christians who are just blown around. That's what he talks about in chapter 4, when you have these believers who are uh, tossed about as infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. Believers are supposed to stand firm in the, their faith in the Lord Jesus. Stand firm then with what? Well, you have this belt of truth. How are we supposed to stand firm? All right, so once you imagine <clears throat> you're in a battle, God's like, I know you're in a battle, so I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you some armor, some spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. Now, <clears throat> Paul is referencing uh, things that exist in the real world. They, uh, a soldier would use a belt, and a belt would hold their tunic on. The tunic is a little shirt that goes down. 
halberd tunic on, they'd also hang stuff from it. They would hang a sword, or they'd hang a dagger from their... It, the belt is very important. Without the belt, your sword doesn't have anywhere to go, your scabbard can't be anywhere, and your tunic flops around, and you don't want that. The belt is important. But it is a belt of what? A belt of truth. Now, the word truth in the Bible is obviously very important. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. But this word for truth is not really this, uh, when you think of truth, we often think of, well, I stand for truth. You know, I stand for truth and justice in the American way or whatever. And so you've got all these, I didn't mean to conflate those things, but we use those phrases, right? And we conflate truth with this objective idea of what is objectively true, which is also a reality in the Bible. But this is talking about a subjective truth that is, it is the life that is in harmony with the truth of God. Does that make sense? It's not just the belt of the subjective truth. Like when you say, well, I stand for the truth. What does that mean? Oh, I mean I stand for the things that are true. What are the things that are true? Well, they're the things that are true, and we don't actually think through these things at all. We just spout words, but they don't mean anything. When he says the belt of truth, he's talking about truth that is lived out in the life of a person. That truth that is in harmony with God's word. Does that make sense? So that when I read the Bible, it is the word of God, it is true, that I have a life that is harmonizing with the truth as God's revealed it in the word, okay? So it's not just the belt of objective truth that I stand there and stay. I stand for the truth or whatever. It's actually having a life that aligns with the gospel. Okay, so stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist. I don't know where else you would buckle it, right? But he's just making sure you don't want to buckle the belt around your legs. That wouldn't help any. So buckle it around your waist. And then he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So a breastplate was these, these two plates of the leather or metal, and they were held together by some straps, and they would, they would protect all these important things in here. And I'm not a surgeon, but I know that getting stabbed with a lance in this area is bad. And so like, if you can get stabbed in the leg or the arm or the shoulder or the foot, you know, you got a pretty good chance. But someone stabs you in the kidneys, it's bad. Someone stabs you in the heart, it's going to be probably game over. Someone stabs you in the lungs, you're not going to fight really well. So they would have a breastplate made of metal that would protect all their vital organs. What kind of breastplate is it? Well, it's one of righteousness. So once again, this righteousness is not just like, look how righteous I am. It's not this objective concept of righteousness. It is a righteous life that is in line with God's word. It is righteousness. It is, it is a, a, an oughtness to our being. Like I have a life that is life as it ought to be. I have a life that is right, right with God and right with my fellow man. Do you understand? So it is not just this ethereal concept of righteous to say, yes, well, I'm righteous. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm righteous. Well, what do those words mean? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? Aren't you a Christian? Well, yeah, but I've never really thought about those things. Here's the deal. We're going to get into just a second here. You need to think about these things. When you think about righteousness in the Bible, it's never just a standing before God. Like, I'm, I'm righteous before God because he's holy, and if I'm not righteous, I'll be destroyed because of his magnificent glory. Yes, it's that. But it always and also means the way in which we live our lives. I am righteous in how I interact with other people, and I'm righteous in how my, uh, my life is lived out on planet Earth. So it is this breastplate of righteousness, but it is a righteousness that is, uh, once again, in harmony with the truth of God's word. And then it says, uh, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So um, 
a, a Roman soldier would have really good shoes. Why? Well, Romans, they built really good roads, and they built really good roads so they could travel quickly. And they needed to travel quickly because when you conquer a giant empire and most of your army is on foot, you've got to be able to march far and fast. And they could march 20 miles in a day, and they needed good shoes to do that. So you would have a, a, a more like a boot that was made up of leather straps with a very thick leather sole, and it would tie up around their foot, tie up around their ankle, give them a very stable walking platform that would give them protection, and it would also enable them to uh, hold their ground in battle. So they were, the bottom had little things called hobnails, which are little short little nails with a conical head, so they worked like cleats. So you could have these guys who could march 20 miles in a day, set up camp. The enemy wouldn't even necessarily know they were there because they didn't know that they could move that fast. And then they're in battle formations the next day, and these guys have cleats on their feet so that when they are pushing against a, another group of guys, they can stand their ground. They can put their foot back and hold their ground because their feet are fitted with something. And Paul says, like a soldier who is fitted with a cleated shoes, your feet are to be fitted with what? The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Paul, by the way, as he's going through these things, he is referencing, this is a really cool little uh, rabbit trail we're going to go on briefly. He is referencing a few passages in the book of Isaiah. This is going to be really cool. So, just wanted to tie this back into you so that you're not thinking that Paul is just coming up with these things. Also, your Bible um, may have, it may be indented there, or it may be a different uh, italicized. And the reason is because uh, Paul is referencing passages about the Messiah. So, when Paul's doing these things, I just want to do this, and I'll tell you why in just a second, to connect back with this. He says, this is uh, Isaiah chapter 11, just so we get some context here. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and uh, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. He's talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, spirit of wisdom and understanding. I'm now in Isaiah 11:2. Spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge to the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor. Uh, and on, on the earth he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and uh, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. So this is battle language, right? He is judging and he is battling. But look at this in verse 5. How will he do it? Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Okay, now you're saying, well, wait a minute, I thought it was a belt of truth. Just hold on. Hold your horses. So we're going to jump to Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 52, 7. It's always in the same place in my Bible, but sometimes I feel like it moves around a bit. There it is. Isaiah 52, 7. So this is the Lord, and he says, All day long, this is in verse middle of verse 5, All day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Then he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim what? Peace. And who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Remember, Zion was under attack in the time of Isaiah and the, the city of Jerusalem, the people of God. And so he's saying, how beautiful are the people who bring to the people who are in distress peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and who proclaim peace. And finally, we'll be in Isaiah 59, verse 17, where he says this. 
And we'll start in verse 15. So 59, 15. And he says, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So he, his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak. Uh, according to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes, and he will repay the islands for their due. The Lord saw that no one was there to execute justice on earth, and so what did he do? He executed justice on earth. So I say all this to tie this back into these things that we're putting on, they are not simply songs that we sing at church camp. This is armor for a spiritual battle that we're in. We're going to get to, once again, in just a second. I keep saying that. I think I said three things. I may not get back to all of them, so just give me a pause on that. But when we put on the belt of truth, and we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and we put on feet with the readiness that come from the gospel of peace, we have to remember that those things are won for us by Jesus. We're going to dig into that more in just a second. But this is not just get up, do better. And make sure that you're doing all the right things so that you can fight the battles that God has for you that day. It is the reality that God has come to save us and he has given us armor to use in a very real spiritual battle. And so when you have feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, what does that mean? How does the gospel make you ready? I was looking in a, uh, a, uh, a lexicon, looking up words, and I was like, okay, well, what, is the, what does this mean being ready? And... This is a wonderful old language. Listen to this. It says, ready means the condition of being prepared with the promptitude and alacrity that the gospel produces. Those are great words. Read that again. The condition of being prepared with the promptitude and alacrity that the gospel produces. We should talk like this. Matter of fact, I, I bet Deacon a dollar that he could not work promptitude and alacrity into a normal conversation with one of his peers. Um, what does promptitude mean? Think of being prompt. It means to act quickly and without delay, right? To act quickly and without delay. And alacrity means like a brisk, lively, uh, cheerful, um, eager readiness, okay? So if someone is acting with alacrity, you, you probably know someone who's like this. You're like, hey, can you help? And they're like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Let's go. We'll run with it. You know someone who acts with alacrity. And so someone who is brisk, lively, and has this wonderful, eager, cheerful readiness. We are supposed to have a readiness for the gospel that acts quickly and without delay in this brisk, cheerful, ready way. Why are we able to move quickly? Because we have a gospel of peace. Because one of the great messages of the gospel is that I am at peace with God. It is the great, tranquil heart that does not have anything against that the Lord, I'm not in conflict with the Lord anymore. I've been reconciled with him. I no longer fear the wrath of God. I no longer fear his punishment. I no longer fear his judgment. I just walk in his grace and his goodness, and I'm at peace with God. Are you at peace with God today? If you're not at peace with the Lord, you're not going to be able to have feet that are ready with the gospel of peace. And I mean that in two ways. One, You've never accepted Christ Jesus as your Savior, in which case you are not at peace with God. You're his enemy. This armor is not for you. This armor is not for unbelievers. Unbelievers can't put the armor on because they're all covered in their own self-righteousness. There's no space for it. 
but you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can also not have peace with God, but you're not really walking in that peace. And that can stop today. You can experience peace with God and peace with your fellow mankind, and you can be a person who walks in this great shalom, in this peaceful wholeness that comes from the gospel, and it makes us ready. All right, so this idea of living a life in harmony with the truth, a life in harmony with God's righteousness, and really a life in harmony with the gospel of peace. What do we do with some of these things? Well, uh, just a couple of, I guess, uh, not warnings, um, sort of alerts, like be aware of these things, right? So if you think about like on a battlefield, like Paul's sort of calling out things to the people who were in battle. He's like a, a, a general who's hollering out, stand firm. Put on this armor. When he comes, you want to be able to stand. And so, first, I just wanted to look at the idea of being aware. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. We're actually in a battle. And I don't mean uh, this sort of ethereal. I mean, look, you and I are in a fight. That's why when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. Because we're in a fight. Now, we're not, in a, we're not walking around punching the devil in the face, okay? That's not the kind of battle that we fight. That's why he says our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is an enemy who is pressing against us. It is the devil. His name means the accuser. And he is on us. We're in a fight. If we're being effective whatsoever, he's going to be on us. There's a quote, by the way. If you've never read the screw tape letters, it's a classic C.S. Lewis. Classic? I said class too many times. But it's a C.S. Lewis book. And he wrote it as this... Uh, this little picture of Screwtape is the name of a, of a higher demon who is working with a demon named Wormwood, and he's like instructing him on how to uh, work with this human to try to keep this human from getting saved. That's kind of the plot of the book. And it's letters that he's writing back and forth to his little underling, Wormwood. And he says this to him at one point. He says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, Without signposts, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. Oh. If you're not experiencing any difficulty, it may be that you're zero threat. The devil's like, you know what? That guy, is, he's not doing anything for the kingdom anyway. I'm not wasting any energy on him. He's off here doing whatever. He's way too busy with his own self-righteousness. I, I don't have any work to do here. You are in a battle. And if you don't sense the accuser, the enemy's work in your life ever, you may want to sit down for a second and ask the Lord, Lord, am I being effective at all in the work that you have for me here on planet Earth? Am I living in such a way that the devil would even take notice? And I don't want you to like, right, I don't want you to have that as your mindset. It's like, I want to live in a way that I wake up and the devil runs away or whatever. I mean, you can do that, I guess. But the idea being... We should know that we're in a battle. Okay, if you were to ask a Roman soldier who's sitting there fighting whoever, some giant barbarian in Germany, are you in a battle? He'd be like, what? What do you mean? Yes, I'm in a battle. Do you hear all the, yes. I'm, I'm literally stabbing another guy. I'm in a battle. You and I are in a battle. And we need to be aware that we're actually in a fight. And that we actually have an accuser who is very, very real. And so because of that, we need to be um, making sure that we're fighting the right battles. So not only do you want to be aware, but I want you to, to be aware that you're, you're fighting in the right 
battles. What do I mean by that? Paul says here, put on the full arm of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So there are two premises here. One, that there's a ground that you're supposed to stand on. You and I have a gospel truth that we're supposed to be standing in. And two, that there's going to be pressure against us to try to push us off of that. What does that mean? It means that it pushes you into not living out the life that God has called us to live. Remember, Paul starts this whole argument way back in chapter 4. Live a life. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. I insist on in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. Be imitators, God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then he goes and explains all these things. Husbands and wives, do this. Kids, do this thing. Slaves and masters, do these things. And then he says, in order to do those things, you're going to have to wear some spiritual armor because you're going to be fought against by the devil. Very awkward way to say that you're in a battle. Going to be fought against? That's terrible. But you're going to have resistance as you try to do this. Wives, you're going to have resistance from the devil as you try to respect your husband. Husbands, you're going to have resistance from the devil as you try to love your wives. Neighbors, you're going to have resistance as you try to love your neighbors. You're going to have resistance as you try to release bitterness, as you try to release wrath and, 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 and resentment that's built up in your heart. You have an enemy who is coming against you. And if you're not fighting the right battles, he's going to stab you in the back. What do I mean? Christians uh, recently, I say recently, probably always, uh, because there's a rule of the Bible. Um, it's not rule of the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. What has happened, is, what has happened in the past is going to happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. When we say that today is the worst that it's ever, ever been, like, read a history book. Okay, literally. We do not, in America today, we are not being currently invaded by hordes of people coming in to slaughter us, to take over our land, to uh, kill all the men and rape the women and enslave the children. That's not happening to you and me right here in this state right now today. It is happening in other parts of the world. It happens. The truth has always been under assault. As we talked about last week, that's the very first thing that the devil does. Is he came in and he asks Eve, did, did God really, really say that? The truth has always been under assault, and human beings have been really creative in how we express our brokenness. Just read the book of Genesis. The first pair of brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. And then it goes downhill from there. It got so bad that by the sixth chapter of the Bible, God floods the whole place and just saves eight people to start over. It can't be, it can't be that this is the worst that it's ever been. Because if this is the worst that it's ever been, God would flood us again. Well, he promised not to. But this is, simply put, not the worst it's ever been. And the reason I say that is because if we end up fighting the battle, if it's never been this bad, blah, 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 yeah, it has. Get over that hump and get into the fight. Because you end up fighting this side thing over here. We're going to fight this issue. I'm going to pick this particular issue as a church. We're going to be known for taking a stand against this thing. Is that what Paul's talking about? Is he talking about taking a stand on a particular issue? Or, no. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and readiness for the gospel of peace. What he's saying is, hey, your job is to live out the Christian life in the culture that you're in. That's it. 
it's not to make sure that the culture gets transformed. The culture gets transformed as people come to Jesus and then follow Jesus. But our goal is not to transform culture. Our goal is to transform humans. Our goal is redemption for the lost. Our goal is to walk in the light of Jesus. Our goal is to love our neighbor. Our goal is to die to ourself and to take up the cross and follow Jesus wherever he may go. Our goal is to follow him into the darkest places of the planet, of the city, of your neighborhood, and bring the light of the gospel to where it's darkest and scariest and the most unsafest place. That is our job. It is not to necessarily attack this certain thing and expend all our energy there. Are there good things that go on as believers uh, uh, address Oh, the abortion issue or various other issues? Yes. Do we need to be aware of what the gospel is or what the devil is doing? Yes, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But we need to make sure that we're fighting the right battles. And the primary thing about this is that Jesus has already fought and won the battle for your salvation. You do not wear the armor of God so that you can win your own salvation. It's very important to understand this. Jesus died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And when Paul writes the book of Colossians, listen to this language he uses. This is the next book over in chapter, uh, chapter 2 here. Where are we here? Ah, here we go. Chapter 2, verse uh, 13. When you were dead, this is Colossians 2, 13. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is not only one. He has had a victory parade for us, and he has now sent us into battle. Your you do not put on the armor of God to fight to be saved. You put on the armor of God because the saved people of God need armor to fight against the work of the devil. You did not save yourself, and you don't put on armor to save yourself. You're saved by grace through faith. This is instructions for saved people, which means this. If you have a breastplate of self-righteousness, if you're like, I, you know what, I'm pretty darn good. I do all the stuff, I do all the right things, I do this, I do that, I read my Bible, I pray every day, I go to church, I give, I'm, I'm, I'm trying real hard to be happy, and when I'm not happy, I beat myself up about it, and I make myself feel bad when I don't have joy, and I, and I heap all this abuse on myself. When I don't walk in righteousness, I'm doing it right. That's what the Pharisees thought. Christian life is not try good, do better, fail, and cycle it out. Christian life is die to yourself, die to your own self-righteousness. None of us is righteous in our own accord. Self-righteousness is like wearing a sopping wet cardboard breastplate into battle. The first thrust of the enemy's sword and you're gone. Gone. But guess what? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that through him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed, given to every single believer. So the righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness is Christ's righteousness on you. That's what it is. It is Christ's belt of truth that you wear. It is Christ's gospel of peace that you ready your feet with. 
everything you have as a believer was given to you and won for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You simply receive it by faith and then you live it out in dependent surrender to him. That's it. The battle that Paul is talking about is what happens when a surrendered Christian just lives out the life that Christ lives through him or her. That's it. It is not that you've got to sit up and ready yourself. That will be fighting the wrong battle. All right. Finally, I want you to be alert to the devil's uh, schemes or what he's, how he's working. And this gives us a really great picture of some ways that we can be aware of how he attacks things. So he, the devil will attack the truth. Why? Because if he can, he did it. He started it from a long time ago. Jesus said he's the father of lies and only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Everything he says is a lie. He comes to attack the truth. If he can't attack the direct truth, like he cannot attack the truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's the truth. What he can do is say, well, what is truth? Is there truth? And we're not the first people to ask that question. Pilate asked it in front of Jesus. Jesus said, what you say is true. And Pilate goes, what is truth? He's not the first guy to ask that question. And it's not something new. The devil has been, has been weaving that lie into humanity since the beginning. Well, if I can't defeat the truth, I can just get them sitting and talking in circles and sitting in, and, and uh, going into universities or sitting in huts or whatever saying, hmm, what is the truth? And they sit there and they, we think ourselves into big knots and we deny the very truth sitting right in front of us. So the devil will always attack the truth. He's doing it today. Just like read the news. He attacks it all the time. The concept of deep fakes and videos, like how do you even know it's true if you see it online or not? You see some of the video and you read a news story and you're like, did that happen? Did, did, did this do it or did AI write it? Do you see how confusing all this is? It's because the devil is constantly attacking the truth. That's why we have to buckle ourselves up with it. And our source of the truth is this thing right here. It's the Bible. So stick in it. Stick with it. And know that the devil, as he constantly attacks it, um, we can stand firm because we know it. Do you remember how Jesus fought the battle with the devil or fought this temptation as he's in the desert? He's there. He's hungry. It's 40 days. And the devil comes and starts tempting him, right? How did he fight it? Fought it with the word. Every time the devil says something, the, the Lord answers it with Scripture. Jesus answers the devil with Scripture. Jesus does. He wasn't pulling out a scroll out of his satchel. And unrolling to be like, oh, well, it says here in Psalms, he had it memorized. If you want to fight the battle with the truth, get it in your brain. Get it in your heart. Memorize it. I don't care how you do it. Get an app. Get a note card. Whatever. Write it down. Find scripture as you read through scripture and the Lord brings one to your heart. You're like, ooh, I like that one. Memorize it. It doesn't have to be a, you can buy a memory, a Bible memory system. Go for it. The Navigators have great ones. Crew has great ones. Every ministry's got Bible memory stuff. Pick one and roll with it. Just do it. But memorize the scripture. Get it in your heart so that when the devil attacks you in the middle of the night, when you're driving in your car, when you're looking on your phone, when you're scared, when you're lonely, when you're hurt, when you're hungry, when you're tired, when he comes at you, fight his lies with the truth of the Bible. And you'll be able to better do that. You'll be equipped to do it if you actually know the Word of God. You may be thinking right now, well, I don't know the Word of God. You probably know it better than you think you do. At the very least, you know that it says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist because it just read it to you. So, write it down on a note card and memorize it today. There you go. There's your homework for the day. 
Righteousness. How does the, the devil battle uh, us in a righteousness? Remember I said that it is, uh, it is not just this uh, objective righteousness, like I am righteous before God. Yes, that's true. But it is a life that is in harmony with the righteousness of Jesus. When I'm not walking in righteousness, the devil's kind of, he's got plenty of ammo against me. He can be like, oh, Brandon, you are so selfish. I can just be like, yeah, yeah, I am. And it'll just beat me down. That's it. I'm done for the day. Totally useless. I'm just like laying on the battlefield. I'm done. I'm in my armor. I'm like, Lord, take me home. I'm done fighting. And the Lord's standing there going, dude, you, you get up. I, I made you righteous. You're righteous. Now get up and fight. The devil will attack us when we refuse to walk in harmony with the righteousness of Jesus. If I choose to like go have an affair, guess what? I don't get to stand up here and do this anymore. I don't get to. If I embezzle money or do all these kinds of things. I, I, if you choose to walk in sin, you'll be totally ineffective in the battle. You'll be totally ineffective in your walk with Christ. Why? Because you're then having to repair all the other stuff you're doing. It's like if you took nails and you want to nail them, uh, even the imagery of nailing things to the cross, right? You want to uh, put nails in a door and maybe those nails are your sins. You're like, Lord, remove all of the, you know, all the things that I've done in my life to, to do things. And he said, fine, I'll take all the nails out, but there's still holes in the door, right? So be careful what nails and what holes you're putting in the door because those are consequences of things. And you're going to be walking through the consequences of your sin and the wake of your life if it's a, a life that is lived outside of the righteousness of Jesus, it's going to be a wake of destruction instead of a wake of life and of hope and of peace. Now, the good news is this. If that's been your life and you're here today and you're like, I have not walked in this righteousness. I'm terrified, Brandon. What are you talking about? Guess what? This news is for you and me. That you and me can be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You can walk in the righteousness that Christ has won for you. Why? Because it's his power. His power is what makes you righteous. Not your righteousness or mine. It's Jesus's. All it requires is humility before the Lord. And to this person I look, he says in Isaiah, to who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. That is who God looks to. If you will be humble and contrite in heart and tremble at the word of God, meaning you look at it and you say, Lord Jesus, teach me from your word, please. I will listen and I will do it. He will empower you in ways you've never imagined. And in that way, as you walk in that righteousness, the devil won't have a, a lot of uh, ammo against you. And finally, this idea of the gospel and, and our peace. The devil's very active in, in twisting around the gospel, getting us focused on the wrong things. Uh, it starts that half of the epistles were written to counter something that someone had taught, whether it's to be legalistic, like they write in Galatians, or uh, for a John writing 1 John to the Gnostics who was, had, had discovered some sort of secret truth that led to uh, the true righteousness and holiness. He said, all these, you just go to the self-help book, a section of Mardell, and you'll see all the same stuff, right? Um, 100 ways to live your best life now. If you give this amount of money and do all the right things, God will bless you. Um, the whole concept that the purpose of the gospel is so that you and I can live a prosperous and victorious life is one of the greatest lies of hell. And it has undercut most of the work of the gospel in contemporary America. Just speaking real plainly, the prosperity gospel is a wicked evil. The reason is because it gets us focused on what is the quality of my life and not what is the need of the lost. 
What is the need of my brother? What is the need of my sister? What is the need of my neighbor? It's a me-focused gospel, which, if you look back at the way that idolatry is defined, it's idolatry, which God doesn't like. You don't have to read far in the Bible for that. But what it leads to is it leads to a, an entitled and an arrogant and an immature church. And we see it all the time. Folks walk in here and they're like, well, I've, I've done all the right things. Why is my life not blessed? I'm like, you do, do you walk with Jesus? Like, do you do what he says? I'm like, well, yeah, but why am I experiencing trouble? I mean, because he says you're going to have trouble. Because he says right here in the Bible, you will have trouble. Paul says we have a struggle. He says take a stand against the devil's schemes. That means the devil's scheming. He's busy. He's coming after us. It does not mean that my life will be all roses and dandelions and happy, happy things. I guess maybe for, I don't know, flowers are what makes people happy. But this idea of my life, it will not just be a life of ease. Was Jesus' life a life of ease? No, he literally rejected ease to win us our salvation. Was Paul's life a life of ease? No, he had a very hard life. Why? Because he pressed into the work of the gospel. If you press into the work of the gospel, you will be in battle with the devil, and you're going to need some armor on. Now, that also means that you have a full and abundant life in the midst of the struggle. This is the beauty of the gospel, that I can walk through suffering, and at the other side of it, I will look more like Jesus. God redeems our suffering. We are not supposed to run away from it. We're supposed to run into whatever he has for us. Why? Because I have the armor of God, have the truth of the gospel, have the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, and I have shoes that are fitted with the readiness that comes from a gospel that says I am at peace with Almighty God and I can be at peace with whoever I'm dealing with and I can be at peace in the circumstance because he is with me. Those are the things that the devil is going to come after when he schemes against us. And I'll say one thing in closing here. Roman soldiers did not fight by themselves. Neither did the Greeks. They had a phalanx, right? You've got their rows of guys. In the left hand, they have a shield. Why? Because in the right hand, they have a sword. So if they've got a sword, that side's going to be open to attack. So how is my right side guarded? By the person next to me. And they would have interlocking shields. And that's how they conquered all these places. They fought as a unit. You cannot fight this battle alone. You can try. You will get slaughtered. You must be in community. You have to have people who are around you helping you fight because I've got weak sides and so do you. I need your faithfulness. I need your uh, companionship. I need your community around me to help me stand firm in the fight because sometimes I'm not like in the fray. Sometimes you get pulled out and like uh, I, I, get, I get rolled in as a second string, and I'm like, let's go, guys. And so we need each other as we fight this battle. So don't fight the battle alone. Find people to be in community with. If it's not a life group, find it somewhere. Find believers. I mean, there's a bunch right here, by the way. If you're standing there and you're all alone, like, I don't know what to do. Turn to the human behind you, whoever's breathing, and just say, and I know this is weird. Don't get me wrong, okay? Just to say, hey, you want to go get some coffee this week? You want to go get some McDonald's or whatever? I'm going to talk to you. i got some struggles I want to share with you. And just sit with them and say, 
hey, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Would you pray for me? Sure. Would you, would you say the word over me? Show me the truth from the Bible. Show me where I'm weak. And, and then the other person says, and we, I, can, can I do this? You do the same for me? Life-changing. Life-changing. But we cannot fight this battle alone. Okay. That's all we got from those three things. So go out. Make sure that you're buckled up. Make sure that your uh, breastplate is, is fitted with righteousness and that you're ready to live out this gospel of peace that Jesus has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great work that you have won for us, that we do not come here and have to work for the truth or have to uh, work for our own self-righteousness or have to work for our, our own peace, but that we can walk in the peace that you have won for us. This is armor that you have provided, Lord God. And as I, as I think about this, Lord, this uh, thing about an old, uh, Charles Stanley as an old pastor once said that as he, Lord, as he got out of bed every morning, that he rolled out. And the first thing he did was he got on his knees. And Lord, he said, hey, I'm going to put on the belt of truth. I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to put on the preparation of my, the gospel of peace. And I'm going to get dressed for the day. And before he even left his bedroom, Lord, he was ready and armored up. Now, would you make us so ready, Lord, that we would start our day like that, to roll out of the bed and to get on our knees, to submit to our Savior, to submit to the wonderful truth and righteousness and peace that you have won for us, that we would walk in it, that we would walk in the mercy and the joy and the beauty of the gospel as we wade into the battle of the everyday with our kids, with our coworkers, with our spouses, with our neighbors, with the people who are driving like crazy on the road, and the guys who try to run us over in the crosswalk, crossing the street, that we would walk into the battle knowing who we are, that we are righteous in your sight, and that we have peace with our God. We pray these things in Jesus' risen and exalted name. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing and uh, seal our hearts up with this truth that the Lord has given to us this morning. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent my soul on Jesus I lean for he pulls I will not will not desert to his foes my soul
you guys first off a reminder if you haven't signed up for the retreat there are retreat sign up sheets out front and if you don't sign up for it you won't go so i want to leave you with these words that the lord gave to joshua before he sent him into the promised land and so joshua was terrified and so he gave them these words he says this is joshua 1 7 be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant moses gave you do not turn from the right or to the left from it and you may be successful wherever you go do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So go in peace.